You know, what a privilege to come together as God's people and to learn that we have the Bible in our language, that we can understand the heart and the words of God, and that we can worship Him for who He is. And so often we get busy in life, right? So to come and to pause, what a privilege to come and sit at His feet and to be around other people that love Him. So, so glad you guys are here. And we're starting a new series today, a new series called, can you say it? Let's be real. Don't you want that from people? Who needs games? Who needs facades? Who wants to talk to a mask of a person? You want real stuff. You want to be able to deal with the real issues that life throws at you. You want to be able to engage in a very real way the challenges of life. And that's what this series is all about. And I thought really a good time as we head into the fall because there are a lot of challenges. You know, we like the routine and all, but a lot of challenges that we face in our life. And sometimes situations that we wonder, what is God doing? What is he trying to teach us? So this series is all about being real. It's getting to real issues. We're going to address a number of issues in the next eight weeks, like approval, brokenness, self-control, discouragement, worry, spiritual dryness, relational tension. And today, we're taking on a huge one, suffering. How do you deal, how do you make sense of suffering and trial and just flat-out pain? But if we're going to be real, and if we're going to see growth, if we're going to get some help, we've got to kind of come down to brass tacks with a lot of the things that we face. We have to come to an understanding of what the cause of suffering is. We have to look to God and say, God, what good are you going to bring from this? Because you promised to do that, but I... I'm having trouble seeing it, and I hope today is really helpful to each one of us. Whatever we're suffering with, whatever trials we're facing, whatever tensions are going on, and we just see it all around our world. I mean, our world is so full of suffering on a large scale. You know, it just comes in so many different forms. On a large scale, these two last hurricanes that have hit in Houston and in Jacksonville, so much suffering, so much loss of life and property. Wars or threats of wars going on all around our world. You know, we get sucked into that in the news or we have a part to play or we're trying to protect or we're trying to do something. And then you have people that are caught up in the actual war themselves that are devastated because there are two warring factions that can't agree. There's ongoing terrorism. There's sh school shootings still in our country. Earthquakes in various places. There was one down in Mexico just a little while ago, a couple weeks ago. Famine and starvation, genocide, persecution of all kinds, racism. I mean, on a large scale, you're like, well, could it be any worse when you look around our world and you think realistically about what's going on? It's hard. And it creates uneasiness in our own heart. But if we're not experiencing those on a big scale personally, there's always things on a smaller scale, on a personal level, you know, physical illness, emotional distress or tension, divorce, financial lack. Uh, so many youth these days, too, this whole autoimmune disorder. And it's, it's not just youth, but I mean, it's like you think, man, they should be able to grow up and be more carefree. And they're bombarded by things I don't remember in my generation, you know, diseases of all kinds. You know, I've been hearing so much about fibromyalgia and lupus and Lyme disease and all these things. 
cancers that people are dealing with, you know, the results of automobile accidents and kind of just this, the chronic struggle to recover from those kind of things. I mean, it's, it's brutal what people are dealing with personally and, you know, the horror of divorce and the devastation that can rot or abuse of all different kinds that people wrestle with. You know, we're in a world where Jesus said, in this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. But can you imagine all that I just described and not having God in the picture in your own life? How do people function? Well, they don't. They don't function well. In fact, they get so fearful or so angry or so sad, they turn to all kinds of addictions or all kinds of further anger and things get worse. And we're seeing that and get worse stuff in our lives and in our country and in our world. But God wants to give us help. He said there can be good from suffering. He can help us understand it on a large scale and on a personal scale. And that's what today is all about. We're, we're going to be real. And we're going to look to God because he wants us to have real help. He doesn't want us to walk out with placards we could put on a bumper sticker or some quick phrase. He wants us to have truth that we can really lean into. And so that's what today is all about. And Christianity is so fiercely realistic. You know, you go cover to cover, story by story, character by character in Scripture. There are very few characters in Scripture where there's not some type of suffering or trial that is part of what we know about them from Scripture. And we'll look at a few of them today, but that's your reality and it's my reality. It's everyone that you know has some measure of large scale, small scale, personal suffering. They're trying to work through, they're trying to make sense of, they're trying to find joy and happiness in the midst of and see if there's any good that's going to come from this. Instead of just, I can't wait for it to stop and I can't wait to get out. Because we know, well, we might get out of one suffering or one trial or one situation and we're walking into the next one or some comes around the corner or things in our own country that we never thought would really happen, I think are happening now and may come. So this is all about hope. It's finding the good things of God in and through suffering. But I want to answer two basic questions. The first is this, what causes suffering? And then secondly, what good can God bring through suffering? So first, what causes suffering? Suffering is a result of the fall of man that we see described in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. Adam and Eve, because they didn't believe God, they thought he was withholding something from them. They were tempted by the enemy to think that, oh, God didn't really have their best in mind. They would become more like God. And, and so that tempted them to fall in their freedom, to fall into sin and not obey God and not believe God in his goodness and his character. That corrupted their hearts as well as creation, we're told. And the Bible is abundantly clear that all of us have an in, inherited this sin, that we're all infected by it. And it doesn't take long to look in your own life. And probably when you're very young, you realize that, that you're tempted to lie and steal and hurt someone or, or lie about a situation or steal something or be angry and not want to forgive. But then as we get older, you're like, wow, that, those just kind of, they give birth to even worse sins of all kinds and all manners. So Scripture is really clear that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. And in Ecclesiastes 7.20, it says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. There never has been and there never will be. We are all sinners in need of a Savior, in need of God. We all need forgiveness. We all fall short of his glory. If we're commanded to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love our others, love others like we love ourselves, we know, boom, we're guilty right there. And then we read more about the nature of sin, and we go like, yeah, I struggle with that too. And 
It doesn't matter where you're born in this country, in this world. It doesn't matter what color skin, what economic level. We're all infected by sin. Sin corrupted mankind. It was passed down. We inherited it. We live in and experience it. It's not real news to us as human beings, if we're honest, if we're being real. He also says that it's corrupted creation. You see, the suffering comes from us not wanting to love God and love others, and it just has all kinds of consequences. We forget sometimes also that we have an enemy that incites our sin. So we think, well, lying is no big deal, and the enemy just kind of builds lie upon lie upon lie, and we're not really an honest person. And that destroys and tears at relationships. We don't think that anger, expressing our opinion, or being right is really a problem until it ends in divorce or abuse in some way. We don't think that maybe crime, you know, they make too much. You know, I deserve to have a little. It's not fair anyway. I got a bad end of the stick. I didn't get a fair shake. And so we take, and that results in incredible pain and suffering to others. And we see that our creation all around us is grieving along with us in our hearts. In fact, in Romans 8, 20 and 21, it says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There is a day that's coming for freedom for the children of God and also freedom for a creation. To be free from the corruption that man and sin has brought to this world. And it is devastating and it is beyond what God ever, ever intended. He made this world perfect, as you know. Adam and Eve were in a perfect setting when they had everything that they needed. They were in relationship with this awesome God and a beautiful creation, yet they chose in their freedom because they weren't made to be robots. They were given a choice to love God or really to, to, to not believe God and to hate God, to disobey Him in some way. And they chose that path, and you and I face that same choice as we go through our days here on this earth, and we realize, wow, creation is groaning, people are groaning, there's suffering all around us. Is there hope for all this? What do we do with the sickness that won't go away? What do we do with these relationships that are hurting and there's so many wounds and we keep wounding each other more deeply? You know, will this ever be put to right? And we know in Scripture that God promises that what we're experiencing now will one day be made right, that we'll get back to the original design, the original creation, that the corruption that we brought, that mankind brought in to their own hearts and relationships and into creation, one day will be reversed. The curse will be reversed when Christ returns. And it'll be put back to right once again. And sin and the ugliness and the corruption that we've brought will be judged. But all those that love God and follow him in Christ will be able to enjoy the new heaven and the new earth where righteousness will once again dwell for all of eternity. So if I had to sum up that first point, what causes suffering? Well, the fall of man and the sin of mankind, and an enemy that incites us to continue to sin and think that God's a liar and God isn't really giving us his best. He's hiding something. He's keeping something from us. And the suffering that comes from a creation that's been corrupted because of our choices as well. 
I don't understand how all that works. I just know that God says he's got a plan in the midst of it and he can protect us in it and through it and one day we'll return and correct it. And that gives us great hope. But there's something about the responsibility of suffering that we have to square with because we think it's someone else's fault and so often we put God kind of in the, the chair of accusation. You know, we want to be the judge over how God has created his world that he even gave the possibility for us to have suffering or to sin. And, and we want to say, God, you know, you didn't give us the best possible world. Well, God did if he's all-knowing and sovereign and completely wise and good. He did give us the best world. We have to take responsibility for how in our sin we have suffering and out of our suffering even cause more suffering. And us falling short of God's glorious ideal that we have a responsibility to say, God, I don't want to continue the suffering in my life or in anyone else's life or in this world. And I can enjoy a measure of heaven here, but not completely. But on my way to heaven, on my way home, I can enjoy your presence and your power and you will do good through what I'm experiencing. Even the hardest stuff that you allow in my life. And I don't blame you, God. I don't accuse you. I'm not your judge. Actually, you judge me and you look down and you offer me help to get out from the sin, to get out from the penalty of that through Christ. And then in the suffering that you will experience in one kind or another at different times in our life here, that we can find God's strength and his purpose. What causes suffering? And then secondly, what good can God bring through suffering? I want to spend most of our time here. And I'm going to kind of give you five things. I could give you just a couple and that would be plenty, but these five kind of work together and I'm going to kind of entrust them to you. They have uh, verses that go with them. All of this that I'm sharing this morning is on the website. You can pull up the whole study guide. I encourage you to jump into a life group and dig down on these because you'll be talking about those this week. If you're in a life group, I encourage you to get in a life group. Um, but dig down on these. But I want to hit each of them at least briefly and give you some scriptures. So please, this week, dive into these. Be a Berean, right? Study the Word of God on your own. Drill down on these. So the first is this. One of the good things that God brings through suffering. A humble and Christ-like heart. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God is up to something through allowing suffering in your life. He's not mean. He hasn't forgotten you. He's not happy that it's difficult, but he is actually purposefully working out the image of his own son in your life. I mean, what an incredible promise that if we would love God, even when it's hard, even when we don't understand it, we just go to him trustingly and lovingly and we say, Lord, help. That in that suffering, he's going to do something in our heart that will bring about the character of our Savior. Nothing else can do that like suffering. The redemptive power, the restorative power of God through suffering makes us like our Savior. So much of the time when things are going swimmingly, right? Things are great. We can be like, oh, it's awesome. And you're just celebrating good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. More blessing. You're like, you're seeing a little more of heaven even on earth, you know. And so often, though, we don't thank God. We don't live in close relationship with God. We almost take that for granted. It's the times of suffering or trial or heartache where we 
we realize, man, I need God. I need his strength. I don't have it in myself. I, I'm seeking an answer. I'm seeking some comfort. I got to have help and strength in this. So we understand that, wow, unless God allowed difficulty, maybe we wouldn't even seek him at all. Maybe we try to exist without God thinking that we've brought all this goodness. We're making it happen. We're smart. We're intelligent. We're hardworking. We're more clever than the next person. We've earned all this for ourselves, and we forget to thank God. We see that in Romans chapter 1. In creation, all that God blessed, they didn't even turn to God and thank him for his creative power and who he is in his nature. And they turned to themselves and to their sin. So thank God for suffering and trial because it makes us look up. It helps us take our eyes off ourselves, And that's what these verses are saying, right? To humble ourselves before God and realize there's a great purpose, a good purpose that he's going to work out. Even though I can't trace it, even though I can't quite see it yet, I can trust his heart. Have you heard that phrase? I like that. Where you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Where you can't add it all up and come to some timetable and, well, I'll do this if in another week, Lord, you solve this and I get out of this situation or you change them or you remove the consequence or the circumstance. And yet he goes, no, just seek me and I will work all things together for good in his time and in his way. Tim Keller, who I'm really indebted to in my study on suffering and many things, he's a great author. I've encouraged many times you know, for you guys to pick up his stuff. Tim Keller, he says this about suffering. Suffering polarizes people. It either humbles or hardens them. But it never leaves them the same. Suffering polarizes people. It humbles them or hardens them. It never leaves them the same. So when you think of your suffering these days, the things you're facing with right now, Is your heart becoming more humble or more hard? Or you could look at it this way. Are you becoming better or bitter? And when God's not in the equation or we just get so busy and so kind of absorbed in pain and complaining and accusing God or accusing or blaming others, we get wrapped up on a human level and we forget to look to him. We can become hard and bitter. But God wants to bring about humility and softness of heart. He's up to something that looks just like his son. In fact, Romans 5, 3 says something similar. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this... Suffering causes us to seek God. It causes us to seek his understanding. It's bringing about some learning about endurance. And sometimes you go, I I don't really want to be, I don't want to endure. What does that mean? So I can get more suffering? (laughs) Do you ever play those games? Like, if I didn't, don't make me endure, because endurance means set up more. It's, no, you're always going to be facing some kind of suffering in this world. Until heaven, that's what makes us long for heaven. Talk more about that in a minute. It's because of the reality, because we're being real with what we experience and what our friend and our neighbor and our husband and our kids and our family members and our bosses and parts of our country and other nations around the world. It's because of all that. 
we like we have to be able to endure. We have to be able to be strengthened through suffering because there's there's likely more to come, and maybe the biggest stuff later. Maybe the harder things will come later. Maybe there are tests to come that will allow me to glorify God, but boy, I better be ready. And this suffering brings about endurance and character and hope, and then we don't live in shame of shrinking back from God and kind of going through, you know, the, the game, playing that game of blame and accusation, and then hardness and bitterness comes, and then we, our own sin just swirls, and we just make it worse ourselves, and we add to the suffering in our own life or to the suffering of others. That can be reversed as we look to the Lord, right? All things will work together for good if we, in love, go to him. And if we realize he's up to something good, there's an enduring that's going to happen. There's character formation happening in my life. There's some measure of healing. I realize I do need God and I need to draw close to him. In fact, Jesus gives us the best example. We would know that. You'd be able to answer that immediately. The best example of Seeing the good of God in suffering is what Jesus went through and what he provided by going to a cross and being raised by God to conquer sin, death, and the enemy so that we could have life and life eternal. And then we could go in the midst of our suffering and do the same redemptive types of work that Jesus does. We actually walk just like he walked. You will be persecuted if you follow Christ in this world because the world is chasing after sin and chasing after self. And in that, causing so much suffering and pain, but those that are ready to receive God, you get to point them to Jesus. And the reality is that you get to walk in those same steps as Jesus and have that same kind of victory. Hebrews 5.8 says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Wow, even Jesus? He learned obedience through what he suffered. There was a purpose for suffering. It wasn't just you know, for us, we think that, but there was something that the Father was doing in and through the Son that we could witness, and we get to walk in those steps so there can be this similar strength and victory in our life, and this hope that even through people watching us, as we're following Christ, that they can see Jesus. Pretty powerful. When you're just celebrating the good stuff, and life is easy, and it's roses, and it's smooth waters, and all that, people don't take note. Just like, oh, good for you, lucky, I guess. Look at you, you're going through some good times. And it's when you have perspective and strength in the bad times through your suffering that it gets their attention. There is a God at work. There's something about you. There's a greater power than just your own. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. You know the best way to go through suffering, you guys, is to not deny that it's not to to not deny that it's there. To try to make it go away some way, to think we can get out of the suffering by being clever, the best thing is to say, "Jesus, I will follow your example and walk in your footsteps. I know if I'm going through suffering in some area in my life, you understand and you get it. I would love if it would be shorter right now, God. I'd love for there to be a resolution, a solution, some healing right now. But God, you're my father. You're looking down on me. You're involved in everything in my life. And if you're allowing this for however long, it's redemptive and it's purposeful. 
and I accept it. But I want the strength of Jesus as I'm walking in his footsteps through this. If I'm in the fire, I want to know you're with me. If the waters are rising, I want to know I'm not going to drown. And there's something redemptive you're going to restore. You're going to redeem something in me that's not quite like Jesus yet. And you promise that because I love you. And you promise you'll turn things around and, and direct them toward a good end. You promised it. I accept it. I'm going to believe that. Bring it about in me. A redemptive purpose, always through suffering. He'll do it. Do we know of anyone else in Scripture that lived this? Okay, you say Jesus, but you know anyone else? Okay, Job went through an incredible amount of suffering. It was a test. God allowed Satan to actually bring that test into his life. He suffered. He lost everything except his life and his wife. And some people say, man, it would have been easier if he lost his wife because she went after him. She said, you should curse God and die. Not real supportive. But God had a plan for that as well. But he restored his life, his belongings, his family, all of that in the end. Read the story. But Job was strengthened in the midst of his suffering. He called out. He was honest. He poured his heart out to God. He didn't hold back, but he didn't accuse God. And this is what he says in chapter 121. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We just sung that, didn't we? How can we not thank God or why do we not... Just overflow with thanksgiving for all the incredible things that God has done and is doing and promises to do. We get hung up on the things that are hard and difficult or the times of suffering and we want to accuse or blame or get angry and push God away. Job understood through the work of God in his life that the Lord gives, praise God, and the Lord takes away, praise God. And he has his purposes and he's good. You don't have anyone else. How about Joseph? You know the story of Joseph in Genesis and in Genesis chapter 50 at the end. And it's a longer story, but how his brothers didn't like him a whole bunch. He had an ego problem when he was younger, and his brothers decided to sell him into slavery. Not real nice. You ever wondered, wanted to do that with a sibling? Okay, you can understand. All right. He was imprisoned unjustly by Pharaoh because they... He was framed, basically. Ultimately, though, because Joseph proved to be faithful, he was put in a position of authority under Pharaoh. And when the Jewish nation was undergoing a famine and would have wiped out the whole nation, Joseph spoke up and saved the nation of God. And he said, What you meant for evil against me, God meant for good. He went through a lot, but he stood faithful to God, and God used him to be a deliverer of the Jewish nation. King David. King David caused a lot of suffering, didn't he? Through his adultery and murder, having Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, murdered. He also then underwent much suffering. Not as payback. I'm just saying he understood both sides as you and I do. And he had Saul and his own son seeking him down to kill him. And through all of that, God protected him. God gave him wisdom, humility, intimacy. He was said to be a man after God's own heart. And read about 
his life in Scripture and just the Psalms that he wrote. He understood suffering, but he understood and experienced God's goodness in it and through it. And just about every character you look at, you look at Daniel, and he just chose to be faithful to God and pray, and he's thrown in the lion's den, but God delivered him. The Apostle Paul, who was causing so much suffering before he came to Christ, locking up Christians, persecuting them all around the, the Roman Empire, right? And yet God got a hold of him, and he became a servant of the gospel and a servant of God. And, and then he was persecuted, and he understood this suffering, being flogged, stoned, imprisoned, shipwrecked. He even had an eye disease that we'll look at in, in a minute. He understood personal suffering. He understood it at really on any level that any of us could relate to and really far beyond probably what any of us will ever undergo. And look how God used Paul. And what about Peter? Remember Peter, he was imprisoned. He was persecuted for his faith. There was much suffering he went through. But they prayed and he was released from prison. John the Baptist went through a lot of that persecution. He was in prison, and they prayed, and he was beheaded. God works mysteriously, doesn't he? Sometimes God gives a deliverance, and he gives a healing, and it's immediate, and a miracle of deliverance from a prison. Or other times, you get to stand faithful to God in his strength and by his grace and give your life because you're faithful to him. God gets to choose that. We don't judge that. We humble ourselves before him, and we say, God... It's your will that I want to do, not my own. Jesus, when he was in the garden, cried out to the Father, and he said, not my will, but your will be done. He wanted another thing other than the cup because he knew the suffering that would come. Father, take this cup from me. But he said, but not my will, your will be done. And then all those Christians that followed in Paul's and Peter's and Jesus' footsteps were persecuted, and there was horrible suffering. And you still see it today. People that claim Christ in certain parts of our world are persecuted, imprisoned, murdered, or their family is murdered or tortured or their churches or their homes burnt. This is real. And you can't escape it. There's nowhere you can go in the world to escape suffering. It's just part of the fabric of being human on this planet until Christ returns. But in the midst of that, he will bring about a humble and Christ-like heart. He will keep shaping us and shaping you. Your intimacy will God, with God will grow if instead of accusing God, you humble yourself before him. A soft heart, an open heart to God will receive his intimacy, his teaching, his promises, his peace, his strength. So let's go on. A humble and Christ-like heart. Secondly, growth in prayer. James 5.13 says, is any, anyone among you suffering, what do you do? <laughs> Let him pray. You know, sometimes we forget to pray. We get frustrated with God. We don't want to pray. We don't want to talk to him. He's the one responsible for this, we say. And we distance ourselves. That's the wrong thing to do. We always should pray. We always should pour out our heart. And when you don't feel like praying, tell God that, but still pray. <laughs> Can you do that? Have you ever done that? I don't feel like praying right now. God, because of this. And I've been praying to you about this. And what's going on? Can he handle that? Yes. He knows it before you say it, before you're experiencing it, before the frustration kind of comes out your pores. He knows it. He gets it. Talk to him. Pour out your heart. Pray. Get other people to pray with you. Hebrews 4.15 says we come to the throne of grace. We don't 
you know, we don't fall back from the throne of grace. We fall into his arms and his strength and his understanding, his sympathy, as we're told. Look at this verse, Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christ was tempted and he suffered himself. He gets it and he gets you. Draw near to him and his throne of grace. And you'll find the mercy and the help that you need in the midst of your suffering. 1 Peter 4.19 says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Entrust yourself to him. Pour out your heart to him. Find the mercy and grace that you so, so need right now so that you can learn all that he has in the midst of your suffering. Isaiah 30, 15, it's a great verse, and it talks about the way our heart should be before God. To give you a little context, the people of God had wandered away from loving him and obeying him and his commands. The people of Israel needed the correction of the prophet Isaiah, and he says this word, For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. That's a sad last sentence. God wants us to return. And another translation of that word return in some translations is repentance. In repenting or returning to God and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Why are we so unwilling to go to God when we need him the most? Why are we so wanting to just stir it up and get ourselves worked up into a lather or other people in situations. Rather than say, God, I'm returning to you. I'm sorry I've been away. I'm sorry I've lived in my anger and frustration, my self-pity, my depression. I am going to return. I repent of that because that was me looking at me or accusing others or even accusing you. But now I'm returning to you, God. And I'm going to trust you in this. I can't understand what you're doing yet. I wish it wasn't happening, but here I am with you. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. Do you have that strength right now that comes from God in the midst of what you're suffering? A deep, abiding strength. Even if the circumstances don't change or don't change for a while, or even get worse, that's what we're promised. Grow in your prayer. Grow in your communion with God. Converse with him. Have great combos. Get the frustration. Pour your heart out. Get other people to pray with you. It's simple. Anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Thirdly, you're going to experience a sufficient grace as you humble yourself. 1 Peter 5 it says, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace 
who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. One of the greatest passages in all of Scripture about how to handle suffering. We humble ourselves before God. We take the anxieties and the lack of peace and the frustration and the wounds and the hurt and the whatever. We cast all that anxiety on him. He wants it. Crazy thing about God. (laughs) He said if we would do that, he would then give us peace. What an exchange that is. Cast it on him. Give it to him. Resist the enemy's lies that it was God who caused it and God's not happy with you and you're just getting what you deserve. You resist those lies. You understand that even though God didn't cause this in the midst of it, he's going to strengthen me. He's going to restore me. He said he would confirm me. Establish my life. Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What a promise that is. But you have to do the front end of that. Your part of the equation is humbling yourself before God, pouring it out, giving the anxieties. And his part of the equation, his promise is, in time, after you've suffered for a while, however long God deems that productive and redemptive in your life, however long that is, after that he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That was written by prideful Peter. He started out as a proud man. He became a humble disciple of Christ and walked in his footsteps of suffering and learned what the glory of Christ, the restoration, confirmation, strengthening, and establishment of Christ was like. Anyone else? How about Paul? Paul became a humble disciple. He started out proud too. Wouldn't it be great if you could look at your life and go, man, I started out proud, but I humbled myself to Christ and accepted his forgiveness. And then I kept humbling myself before God because, man, I had so many things I had to do, <laughs> do that with. I had to keep calling out for his strength. And I kept humbling myself and casting my anxieties. And I saw that. Well, Paul did that as well. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul has asked God to heal him of this eye disease. We don't know much about it, but we know it was like a thorn in the flesh to him. And this was God's response back to Paul's trio of prayer. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. He received his answer from God, which was, no, there won't be healing of your disease until heaven. But I'm going to pour my grace out on you. My power is going to rest on you. It's actually going to be perfected because I'm allowing the weakness in you. You will keep looking to me. This would be my summation, my guess. You will keep looking to me for strength because it's so hard. You'll be relying on me, and if I healed you immediately, you might thank me. But maybe you'll go on in your pride and self-sufficiency, and I want the sufficiency of God, my grace, to be all that you need. I don't want you to look to your own strength. I want you to experience the strength and power of Almighty God resting on your life. And I understand as I'm saying that, some of you would just go like, "Eh, I'll just take the healing. (laughs) I'll just take the stop of the suffering and the the issue of tension in these relationships. I'll just take that. Well, God knows best for you. He'll give you that if that can be productive in your life and redemptive. But if he wants to bring greater power into your life, he might allow that suffering to continue so that you actually could 
gladly boast of it because you get to see the grace and power of Christ like you have never seen it before in your life. He will give you sufficient grace as you humble yourself before him. Fourth thing, compassion for others. This is awesome. So often we overlook this as part of our healing and our help in suffering. We get compassion to understand and give to others. Look at these two verses. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and fulfill, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And in Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. As we experience Christ's work in our heart, as we see a humility and a Christ-likeness come about, as we're drawing close to him in prayer, as we're experiencing more and more of his grace and power resting on us, now you have something to give to someone else. Do you get that? Before you were all self-consumed in your suffering, you thought you had it worse than anyone else. You would say, oh, well, I wish I had that problem compared to what you have in your life. You're self-consumed. Maybe you've accused or blamed or kept God at a distance, but now all that's changed. You've returned to your God. You've humbled yourself. You've seen a measure of his strength and his confirmation and his help. And now you look around and you can really relate to other people that may not have experienced that yet, but they're suffering that you know they experience. You have something to say. You have a testimony. You can witness to the power of God and his help in your life. You can reach out to someone. This happened to me when I was getting my hair cut yesterday. As if you couldn't tell, right? I'm not signing up for the military. Um, and one of the gals, I found out her, um, her father, who's 79 years old, went through exactly what I went through. He had a burst blood vessel in his brain. And he was unconscious in the hospital. He's been that way for a couple weeks. Uh, his last days are probably, they're wrapping up. And they have some big decisions in front of him. And it's very hard. There's a huge amount of suffering going on in the family and all that. I had something to say about it because I went through it myself and God rescued me. I could have been paralyzed in some way. I could have died. I, I've been told this, you know, or a third of the people walk away and they're healed and they get back to a normal life, which is what I experienced. I'm experiencing. But I had something to say. And it wasn't because I was a pastor. It's because I'm a human being and I've gone through suffering and that was one I could actually really relate to. And I say, can I pray for your dad? And so a couple of the other gals came over and we just joined hands and we prayed. And I want to tell you, you could have done that just as well as me, maybe better. You learn from suffering and you understand some of what God does in shaping your heart and changing your perspective and giving you hope and strength you didn't have before you really turned to him. You can share that story with somebody else. And it may not have been a burst blood vessel in your brain. Maybe it's a relational tension you've worked through Maybe it's a divorce you've gone through, not of your own choice. Or maybe, maybe it was. And maybe you look back and you go, wow, I messed things up. And you have something to say about how God can enter into your worst pain. Or maybe it's dealing with whatever. It's addiction. It's, it's lying. It's an affair. It's a whatever it is. God wants you, as part of your healing, to reach out with his compassion toward others. To help bear up under their burden. When they're rejoicing, great, rejoice with them. When, when they're weeping and they're mourning, join them in that. Let them know you understand. Whether you have that exact situation or another, you understand human pain, suffering, discouragement, depression, addiction, or whatever it is, and get close to them. And you will only do that 
if you see God working in your life through your suffering and in your suffering, because you won't care otherwise. But if you want to care, if you want to see the goodness of God through suffering, this is one of the benefits, that you'll be able to impact people for Christ. Because one of the things that I've heard so often about people that are undergoing huge suffering or illness or whatever is they feel very alone. They can be married, they can have kids, they can have lots of people around and maybe in this church and lots of people, they just still feel very alone. They feel very alone until somebody gets past just focusing on their own issues and needs and good things but suffering and will look into their heart and to see how they can help bear a burden or pray for them or help in some regard. And when you say, Lord, I want that kind of goodness, then you're going to experience the compassion of Christ for others and it's going to change you as you give it to them. And then lastly, and this is a great one to end on, right? Heavenly perspective. We have these great promises in Scripture. One of, one of the ones is in Revelation 21.4 that says, He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. What a great promise. And there are so many in Scripture about what we can anticipate in the future. We don't know how long the suffering. We don't know what variety pack of suffering we'll face. We do know God will be faithful in it and through it, and we can receive good. But we know one day all of this suffering in whatever form will be behind us. All the tears will be gone. All the mourning will be gone. All the heartache, all the wars, all the cancers, all the issues will be behind us because we're not home yet, right? We're told that we're pilgrims. We're just passing through. We're not trying to hunker down and make it as comfortable as we can and deny the reality of death. No, we don't have to be afraid of death. And one day that is coming and maybe quicker than we think. Or maybe Christ will return sooner than we think. But the bottom line is we're prepared. We're ready because we know Christ. He says all that will be wiped away. Death will be no more. Sin will be dealt with. God will welcome in all of those that love him and are in Christ. And those that have chosen not a a destruction, a hell. I mean, all that's described in scriptures is horrible. You don't want that for anyone. But heaven and hell are real. God wants you to keep your eyes fixed on heaven, to let it make a difference in how you deal with earth and suffering here. We are tasting of his goodness now, but we have a feast to come. Amen? We know what's coming. We have hope in our suffering, and it's real hope. And it changes our heart and our perspective, and it lightens the load, and we can share that with others, and it lightens their load. And we have this great promise in Romans 8, 18, and I'll end with this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That if you take all of our suffering and you put it in a pile, the glory that God will bring about in us, when all of a sudden, all of that will make sense. We'll see what God did that was so good through it because we loved him. And then we get this glorious new body like Christ's body. We get the new heaven and the new earth with the new Jerusalem that's described that will descend from heaven. Like, it's going to be unbelievable what we get to experience because of God's goodness. Compared to our suffering, it'll be nothing how God will reveal his glory in and through us and all throughout the new heaven and the new earth for all eternity. What a redemptive plan. God will make, once again, his creation right in his eyes and in our eyes.
So let's review real quick because they're fun to see all together. Good things is what God's up to in and through our suffering. A humble and Christ-like heart he will form in us. He'll grow us in prayer. He'll give us his all-sufficient grace. We'll have a compassion for others. And we'll have heavenly perspective because we know we're not home yet. We're passing through. But he walks with us in our suffering. And good things will come from it. That's enough to chew on for a lifetime, actually. I was going to say for a week. But like, this will get you through. These truths will get us through our suffering. And not just get us through squeak by, but will form the character of Christ, will show us how the promises of God actually can be lived out, and will impact others that have no hope in their suffering in this world. So let's pray that God would continue to teach us, yeah? We're going to worship. We're going to have an offering. Uh, it's going to be a time just to seek the Lord in prayer. So uh, as we're worshiping, just pour your heart out. We'll have the prayer team after communion, uh, which we'll have together. We'll have the Lord's Supper together. After that, the prayer team will be on the walls. Feel free to come up and receive prayer, and they'll lift a burden, and they'll pray with you about whatever suffering you may be going through. Um, but right now, too, just as a time of seeking God and pouring out your heart to him, he cares for you. And if you don't know Christ, you've been suffering alone apart from this relationship with God, just cry out in your heart in Christ's name for his forgiveness, and he'll welcome you as a son or daughter today. So let's pray for those things together. Father in heaven, we call out on your name. We humble ourselves before you. You are a mighty, awesome, and holy God. What a privilege to call on your name and not be in fear. You welcome us through your Son. You've accepted us and forgiven us. You don't know Jesus like that. Would you just call out on his name right now and say, God, would you forgive me and my sin? my waywardness from you, my wrongs. Give me a new heart like you promised. Wipe it clean, Lord. Forgive me, a sinner. I need you as my Savior. And come into my heart, into my life forever. Thank you, God, that that's what you promised me. Thank you, Jesus, that you took my sin on that cross. It's debt you paid. Thank you, Lord. Just thank him that you became a child of God if you just prayed that prayer to him. And tell someone so they can encourage you in your walk with the Lord. And Father, for the rest of us, we just want to take this time now to worship you. We worship by talking and being honest, by returning or repenting, turning back to you and pouring out our heart to a God who cares and loves us so deeply. Thank you, Lord. Bring about those good things in my life and in my suffering for your glory.